0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Ginetti. It is Thursday, July 13th. It's a quick NBA and a big NFL show today, starting with the no trade clause in the NBA or lack thereof. Uh, Big discussion with Dame Lillard happening right now and the player empowerment stuff. What do the contracts have to say about this? I'm going to dive into the history of the NBA no trade clause. It's a short list and the current situation with Dame and any other active player that may have a no trade clause in the NBA. And then I posted a piece on spotdraft.com fully detailing five contract projection breakdowns for NFL summer extension candidates. Those players are Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Chris Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Justin Jefferson. I'm going to detail those projections in the second segment of this show, and I'll have a brand new. Batch of five to come probably by the next episode. So stick with that, and uh, let me know thoughts at Spot Trek on Twitter. With much of the NBA news surrounding Damian Lillard and his eventual exit from Portland, TBD. I thought it would be an interesting time to discuss the no trade clause in the NBA, or the lack thereof. I should say, uh, Dame does not have one. That's a big part of this discussion right now. Because without one, he's still basically saying out loud on socials and everywhere else. Miami's my team. <laughs> and uh, look, it's a player empowerment era. We are well into that, if not you know, enshrined into that at this point in time. And superstars, I think rightfully should have their way in this league. It is a player driven league. It is a star driven league. The youth is growing up into $200 million contracts really with a blink of an eye. And there's no turning back from that unless there's major changes from an economical standpoint. So I don't think there's anything wrong with what's happening here. But I think it's fascinating that it's sort of an unwritten rule right now, right? There's not a clear-cut contractual obligation for Portland or Washington or Brooklyn or any of these teams, Philadelphia, to do what they've done over the past couple of years it's just sort of, we all have to stay on the same team. We're all going to get at least, you know, 90% of what we're looking for here. And 90% of what we get is way better than almost every other sport, right, is dealing with right now. So let's just kind of shut our mouths and do our business. And if this is one of those things that we have to bend and break on, we're going to continue to do it. And by that, I mean, guy wants to go and he's got a couple of options. Let's just make that work. But rather than. Get into a confrontation with a player, have a team and a player, and maybe more importantly, the agencies which sort of run things right now. Instead of having confrontation that gets nasty in public and becomes the, the you know the soup du jour on Twitter, let's just play ball, figuratively and literally. And there's a there's up, an up and down conversation for that. There's a pro con conversation, but I don't think there's. A world where Damian Lillard doesn't go to Miami here. Let's put it that way. I think it's going to take three or four teams to get it done because Tyler Hero is not an option for Portland, in my particular opinion. But maybe San Antonio wants him, right? Maybe Toronto wants him. I could certainly see that coming into the fold. So I I think it gets done. And I think this is just the next iteration of this player empowerment, get me out of here mode. But what about the players that actually had a contractual right to say, I am not going to that team? I know there's one out loud you can think of. That's Kobe Bryant, right? Basically annexing every trade option that happened to him for the most part of his career. So I've just tweeted out uh, the history of the NBA No Trade Clause. It didn't take me long. Okay. It did not take me long. There's only one active player to start with that conversation. You may or may not know who that is. I'm going to bury the lead and wait for that. Uh, David Robinson sort of started this whole thing. And not only did he start it, he started it with his rookie contract. This is way before rookie wage scale. Uh, He signed like an eight year deal to to begin his career in San Antonio. This was, you know, the rogue years of NBA rookie contracts. Players came out of college after four years or out of the Navy after four years in his case. And the Admiral negotiated basically a, a top two average salary and a full no trade clause right out of the gate. He was going nowhere. There was no question about that. This was where he wanted to be and unless the wheels fell off. He was going nowhere until Timmy Duncan came into play. And by the way, Tim Duncan's on this list. It's a 10-man list. That's it. Full no trade clauses. Now look, you get to a certain experience level in the NBA and you're garnered some veto rights. So I'm not going to say like this thing doesn't exist. It happens. It's out there. And you factor in the superstar factor that we I I discussed here in the intro, there's certainly a lot of ways to get what you want in this league. But for every other sport, this is what it takes. Right? This is what it would take for Patrick Mahomes to not be traded to the Minnesota Vikings in two years. It's not an unlikely outcome. This is what it would take. It would take a contractual obligation for him to say, no, this can't happen. Okay, And there are certain NFL players that have this right now. Not a lot, but it exists. Mostly, this has been a baseball thing and a hockey thing. Okay, It's been extremely prevalent in the NHL. We're starting to see it a little bit more major league baseball over the past decade or so. And I think that'll continue as players get squashed more and more in free agency and they have to compromise any kind of control they can at some point in time with an opt-out or a no-trade clause. But it hasn't been a thing in basketball. It sort of hasn't needed to be a thing in basketball. Great players can do what they want, stay or go. And it's been like that for a long time. It's at the height that it's ever been right now. David Robinson started this thing. John Stockton built in, boy, a whole bunch of funky contractual things. I could do a whole 30 for 30 on his contracts over the years, stay or go. Uh, there was a kitty clause which is literally what it said legalese-wise, basically affording him the opportunity to spend more time with his family and skip some things that other players had team obligations to. Got to love that stuff. But he also had a three-year no, full no-trade clause built into one of his middling Utah deals. I mentioned Kobe. He was contractually no-tradable from 2004 to 2013. And then obviously anything after that was going to be, I'm just going to retire if you, don't tra- <laughs> you know, if you try to trade me. Tim Duncan followed up David Robinson's footsteps with only one one deal. I remember this vividly. It was 2015. He was at the brink, right? He was kind of at the the, the close of this whole process to some degree, signing one year f- team friendly deals. And basically, it was I could walk away from this game right now. I could sign with eight other teams right now. I want to finish this thing here. I'm going to take a haircut from a price point standpoint. So in order to do, to ensure that you don't pay me a couple million dollars, and then trade me in January, I'm going to make sure that I lock in myself a no-trade clause. It's just good business at that point in time and well-deserved by him, by the way. So that was just a one-year thing for Duncan to make sure he stayed in San Antonio no matter what. I absolutely love that. Kevin Garnett, sort of a reverse situation. Uh, Got himself a no-trade clause when he moved to Boston, something he didn't want to do. And then by the time he got there, realized I should have done this five years ago. Ended up utilizing that no-trade to get himself back to Miami, to Minnesota to finish his career. So I love that. Uh, got his ring, went back home, and uh, finished off a Hall of Fame career back where he started. Love that. Similar to the Duncan's conversation, but elongated, I guess more like Kobe, Dirk Nowitzki in Dallas from 2010 to 2016 had a contractual no trade clause. And then we start to get to some names. Dwayne Wade established one in Miami 14 and 15. Uh, pretty important time, right? Uh, important that he stayed in Miami so that the eventual big three could happen. LeBron in Cleveland in 2016-17 wanted to control his own destiny. You can certainly understand that. How about LeBron? LeBron James, right? One of the most historical athletes in the history of sports for only two seasons carried a full-note trade clause. That's how kind of non-existent this thing is in this league. Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony when he signed with the Knicks, got a three-year no trade clause from 2014 to 2017. And then we get to our only active player. And it has come up recently. Bradley Beal is the only active player with a hard no trade clause in the NBA right now. He utilized it to get himself to Phoenix. It carried over with him. And it remains indefinitely through at least 2025 with a player option one year after that, that could certainly take him into 2026 as well. So, uh, It's not a thing, but it doesn't have to be a thing. Because when Damian Lillard wakes up and says, "Time to go to Miami after 11 years in Portland," there's not really a lot of people out there saying, "Screw him, do what you got to do, Portland." Because a, it's a player-driven leap. B, they're gonna they're gonna make this work, all right. And that's just not being said enough. This isn't a clear cut; has to go this way, right? We've seen every single single iteration of a trade possible over the past five years in the nba four team trades five first round pick trades uh superstar for superstar trades we've seen it all because the nba allows basically for it all even though it's got this rigid salary matching policy but that's that's part of what makes this beautiful okay dame lillard's ridiculous salary would be hard for any one team to match because you're sending either two or three great players or one outstanding player just to match the salary, just to, just to make it mathematically work. But you start involving other teams, okay? And you can bring in, I don't know, a Norm Powell or somebody to that degree, and a Tyler Hero or a Duncan Robinson. And you start to factor and add things up. A, you're getting more draft picks involved, which Portland's going to love. B, more teams can actually get off players that they don't currently want, which more teams will love. And Dame Lillard gets to go where he wants to go. So there's a world, like like I said, where everybody can get 90 to 95% of what they actually want, right? Write down your best offer, come down 5%, toss in a team or two to make sure that that it all works from a draft pick standpoint and a salary matching standpoint. And the league just allows for this kind of flexibility. So there's just a lot to what the NBA is doing, right? This is another part of it. Everybody kind of gets their way because of the flexibility, because of the salary matching, because of the soft salary cap, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I just think other, other sports really need to start paying attention to this, especially baseball, Man, who doesn't allow draft pick trades, who makes trading the absolute roguest thing ever. It's, it's kind of impossible for any even above average baseball fan to sit here and say, okay, the Angels are going to trade Shohei Otani. They decided that they're in the tank. They went one and nine down the stretch before the all-star break. They're not going to get there. Mike Trout's injured, yada, yada. It's time. What is Shohei Otani worth for a two-month rental? Does anybody really know? I know there's some sites out there that put some, some value to this, some metrics to this, but prospects change constantly, consistently to the point of where the, the, the prospect ex- experts don't even update their numbers more than twice a year, all right? Because it's really hard to keep up with. It's just a rogue scenario where basketball, you can sit here and say, all right, well, you know what? I think Duncan Robinson makes a lot of sense on Toronto right now. Because they could use some shooting around, you know, Scotty Barnes, et cetera, whatever. You could see it because so many NBA players, veteran players get moved every year at the deadline in the offseason. To some degree, that's hockey as well, though there's quite a few prospect moves in hockey. But with baseball, we just don't have the connection between prospects and big league players. And we don't see enough big league players move teams. So kind of a tangent rant, but I'm... I'm patting the NBA on the back while doing this, right? I, I think the size of the league, which helps, obviously, the financial health of the league certainly helps. And the idea that they let the they let the players run the asylum, you know, look at Doncic, it's going to have his the ability to do what he needs to do over the next 18 months. And if Dallas is in the tank, or if Kyrie becomes Kyrie, he's going to get the hell out of there. And Mark Cuban's not going to be able to do anything about it. All right. He's going to have to get public. And if he he tries to get nasty and put his foot down, sort of like Daryl Morey did, but even that worked out at the end with Ben Simmons. And we'll see what happens with James Harden this time around. There's really just not, there's not a precedence for owners and front offices to not allow these players to get what they want. There's a lot of people out there that probably hate that. And I get it. All right. I kind of grew up in the fringe version of that especially with the NBA, which was getting out of the Jordan era. You know, I saw the glory years, and then you had, what, the Spreewell years and all those kind of funky, just weird years, right? And then it transitioned, right? Kobe kind of took us out of that. LeBron certainly took us out of that. And then LeBron and Chris Paul literally single-handedly sat as player representatives and changed the CBA and changed the rules and fought for the lower half and the middle class of this league financially. And now everybody's getting their own. All right. And now guys making 16 million can push their way out if they need to. It's not just the 40 million players, but, but certainly those guys get what they want. And Dame's going to be the next version of that. I'd be shocked <clears throat> if it was a random team. In fact, I'd be floored if it was some random team like a Minnesota or a Sacramento. Okay. To me, it's Brooklyn, it's Miami. I don't know if the Knicks can get involved, but it's those teams. And Miami is certainly way at the top of that list because Dame has said it out loud, but that's how it works. It's not contractual as we've seen here. Only 10 players have had contractual reasons to say no. Everything else just kind of works out behind the scenes with conversation, with agents, with things like that. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, you know, negativity that comes with that, but for the most part, they keep things pretty positive. And Kevin Durant getting out of Brooklyn, right? None of us even saw it coming. They kept that such lock and key. And by the way, before the season started, that's exactly where Kevin Durant said he wanted to go, out loud, to the world. And a few months later, it happened without us even realizing it. So it's healthy, I think. It's great for the game. You know, It stinks for the fan who's wearing a jersey and doesn't have any kind of consistency with it. But that's where we go. That's how this league operates. That's how it ticks. That's why it's healthy. That's why... There's so much interest in it, but you know, for some of you out there, it's probably why the league freaking drives you bonkers because you just never know. But for transactional people like me, it's a freaking blessing. Okay. Let's talk some football. I, uh, I did some off season work, put in five contract extensions, not just paragraphs. Uh, I sat in front of the spreadsheet machine, sat in front of the market value machine that lives inside of spytrack.com from my perspective. And I uh, I dove as deep as I could go without getting too crazy. I could have I could have spun out, you know, incentives and things like that for all of these players. I did I did five players to start with. I'm going to do five more over the next 48 hours here, uh, so there'll be more to talk to you next week. But um, the last episode of the Spot Trip Podcast, I did a dive into Justin Herbert because I I think his situation uniquely deserved 20 minutes of my time. And then, as I promised, I put that into into literature form. So he's one of these five. So I can stick away from that one because we kind of got to where I needed to be last, year, last week with this. Uh, just from a number standpoint, the projection I put out there for Herbert is four for 216 on top of his two for 33. 54 million a year, 112 guaranteed now, 175 guaranteed by next March. That's where we are with the quarterback. And you can say he's not an elite quarterback. He's not one of the top five quarterbacks. I would disagree. Uh, I think a lot of things have broken badly for him, including his elbow last year. And I think this is exactly where the quarterback money has to be now, because in the blink of an eye, it's going to be $5 million more than this and $50 million guaranteed more than this. We're going to be over $200 million maybe in the next couple of weeks, because there's four quarterbacks right now who need a contract. I've laid out Herbert and Burrow in this piece. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to Mahomes and Prescott next. And Kirk Cousins is sitting there in the, in the, in the, waiting in the wings. I just kind of want to see how this plays out in Minnesota before I do too much. Here's the five players. And again, I'll keep this surfacey, and you can read the article on spytrip.com as needed to see all the dirty details. But Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, defensive tackle Chris Jones from the Chiefs, who is in negotiation talks right now. Saquon Barkley, who's got a 48-hour deadline on his franchise tag extension. And Justin Jefferson, with the minnesota vikings for now they all kind of have their thing right chris jones is 29 on an expiring contract justin jefferson may not have a quarterback next year may not have a lot of defensive players next year uh, that's a weird one but i don't know how you talk about anything but gigantic money saquon barkley may not get this this extension which means it's a whole lot of training camp I guess come back for week one, you know, I I don't think he's going to hold out until the regular season, but he's going to play out that 10 million as late as possible. Let's let's put it that way. He's keeping himself in shape, but I'd be shocked if he showed up to the Giants anytime before September 1st uh, with week one on the precipice and he starts losing money. Chris Jones is going to get done. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, there's already an announcement. So I had to make sure he was in this top five. I mentioned Herbert. Let's start with Burrow. I've talked about him before. Cincinnati has a Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase problem. Good problem. And uh, I think Burrow's probably the the top priority here, and why not? He's, a, he's answered every single question that anybody has asked, including right a couple of injury situations that he's had to bury through, in ter- including that first season. He's elite. He was elite in college. He was, and then he wasn't. And now he hasn't turned back since. Four years, two hundred and twenty-two million is where I landed. Fifty-five and a half million per year. It's a sixty million dollars signing bonus. It's a it's a single bonus structure for Cincinnati, who I think is going to want control over their restructures and cap conversions each year, similar to what uh, Kansas City has been able to do with Mahomes. The big thing, and I mentioned it last episode with Herbert. I'm not putting on these guys on anything more than a six-year total contract. So four new years tacked on to two rookie years. That's all I'm doing. You can push back and say these guys have to go the Josh Allen route and tack, you know, tack on six years to get you eight because the team needs that kind of cap, cap flexibility. I'm telling you right now, I've, I've got visual spreadsheet breakdowns here in this article. This is how this is going to work. All right. I, I'm, I'm adding $222 million to Joe Burrow's life. 190 million practically guaranteed, right? Huge numbers. And a cap hit this year will be 19 million. And his cap hit next year will be less than 26 million. You got to be able to live with those, right? Yeah, it jumps to 57 and 57 the next two years in year three and year four. That's super standard. And by the way, the cap should be 250, 260 by then. Maybe more, 270 by 2025. So you're going to live with 50s and 40s for cap hits. They're they're not even going to get converted anymore. No, you can do a a small, simple conversion. I've got a $25 million roster bonus sitting there in year three for Burrow. You tack that over five years, you saved yourself 20 million right there. Now it's a $37 million cap hit. Super doable off 250 right? So you got to be thinking about inflation and progression because this league is not slowing down. I don't think it's taking itself to the level that basketball is, nor should it. You're feeding 70 miles a year on every roster with injuries, with practice squatters. There's a lot of miles to feed. But this is the quarterback. All right. This is and one, this is one of the quarterbacks. So you can't come into this thinking, we're just going to spread this out for 10 years and make everybody happy. You have to grin and bear it. If you get a guy and you want to keep that guy, you're going to have to live with 40, $50 million cap hits in your life. It's just going to have to exist. The Chiefs just won the Super Bowl with a $36 million cap hit on Mahomes. They didn't restructure anything last year. And they shouldn't have. It should be every other year. So it's possible. It's doable. You're going to have to take your lumps, right? There's a couple of defensive tackles and linebackers that are going to fall off the roster every other year because of this. Never going to be able to pay a running back. Never. That's why Mixon's contract is a complete what if right now for me. But this is just one of those prices you have to pay. And by the way, and I said it with Herbert, Joe Burrow can't accept eight years. Okay. You've got to get in and out in four years, 2023 to 2026. And then we'll talk about the next contract, just like Dak Prescott did. He waited to the very last minute, got offered that second franchise tag, got himself into four for 160. It's year three. Okay. He's already had two years at 80 mil. It's year three and Jerry Jones is already talking about an extension. Why? Because he's expiring in 2024 with a $60 million cap it. And they want to do something about it right now. instead of taking all the lumps next year on an expiring contract when they got in trouble with Dak last time, they want to get it done a year early. And I think it's good business. And Dak Prescott has forced that issue. And Kirk Cousins, year after year after year, forces that issue with tidy contracts they don't have to be top of the market. They can be 85 to 90% top of the market. You get that money and you redo it and then guess what? 85% of the current market 3 years later is going to be way more than what you would have gotten by going top of the market 3 years ago. You know what I mean? So instead of aging yourself out and pigeonholing yourself in long contracts, get in, get out, force your team to do something about it, force your team to stay relevant cuz guess what else isn't happening? If your quarterback has three years guaranteed left, there's no tanking going on. They're not cutting the running back. They're not cutting the, you know, you're, 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 they're not trading your WR1. It's not happening. Not trading the safety. It makes everybody stay at the top of their game, including the GM. We have this conversation in the NBA all the time. And I think it's what Giannis is literally doing right now by not extending. He is forcing, LeBron does this constantly, by the way. But, but, but I believe Giannis is not going to extend this year. And it's going to force the Milwaukee Bucks, A, they've already done it, to re sign their players, Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez, to be active at every deadline, to make sure that they go to the absolute maximum they can in terms of roster construction, to show Giannis that they're real for the next three years and that his extension is worth his time in Milwaukee. And if not, he's going to test this water. Okay? So it's important for Joe Burrow, A, to keep the quarterback money moving because it's deserved, and B, to keep that Cincinnati front office in check and keep everybody doing what they have to do. Now, is there a tipping point? Is there a point where Joe Burrow's contract is literally too much to handle to keep Higgins, to keep chase? Yep, probably. But you know what else isn't happening? Teams aren't paying two wide receivers at the same time. So I'm not sure paying T Higgins and paying Jamar chase is good business. Okay. So we'll see where we go from there. So again, with Joe Burrow, Four years, two hundred and twenty-two million. New Year's, new money. That's fifty-five point five a year, if you care about that. He gets sixty-one point one million in twenty twenty-three with this extension. Uh, He's supposed to make about five. He gets one hundred and twenty million guaranteed at signing. Big boy money. All right, gigantic money. Not the Sean Watson money, but we're not doing that. Okay, we're we're not going there. That's the elephant in the room that is not going to go away until it goes away. It's gigantic three-year cash. It's gigantic two-year cash. And it's basically all fully guaranteed at signing. And then by March of 2024, another 45 million gets locked in. And by March of 2025, another 46 million gets locked in. So five years of this six-year contract has an early vesting guarantee or an upfront guarantee, all of it injury guaranteed, by the way because that's another thing that has to happen with this quarterback pay. And again, it's a single bonus structure with big roster bonuses every March to allow Cincinnati to do what they have to do from a cap conversion standpoint on an annual basis. It's hefty, but it's tidy. And I think that's what quarterback contracts have to look like right now. I mentioned Herbert, four for 216. It's basically just a 90% version of of the Burrow contract. And I think that's correct. I think Burrow has earned... 10% A 10% kick over Justin Herbert and I don't think there's too much complaint about that now when we get to Mahomes next episode we'll find out just how big the gap has to be between this tier and Patrick Mahomes because there's not a lot of people that can say I've got four hundred ten fifteen million dollars left in my contract and I'm ready for a new one he's one of them and it sounds like it's about to happen so that'll be a fascinating next conversation but for now Chris Jones in Kansas City should be the next man up to get this contract. Outstanding all-pro defensive tackle, still at the top of his game at age 29. Entering an expiring contract on a one-year, $20 million situation. He's certainly worth more than that. A lot of teams would not flex here. A lot of teams with this position would say, we got to let this guy ride it out. We'll franchise tag him to hold up to, as a placeholder next February. We'll see what we can do before March 13th and go from there. Kansas City's not going to let that happen. Um, a, he's too valuable. B, they can lower his cap hit and maybe squeeze DeAndre Hopkins into this conversation right now. I think that's something that's fringe possible. But lowering his cap hit of 28 and change right now makes sense. Uh, they don't want to just do a cap conversion. They want to get him on the books for 2024 and five. That's what I've done here. It's a three-year, $93 million extension, 54.5 guaranteed at signing, 81.5 practically guaranteed. Both those numbers, including the 31 million average salary, are just a tick under what Aaron Donald did with the Los Angeles Rams before pretending to retire. (laughs) Okay. So I think there's a world where Jones leaps over Aaron Donald's numbers. I'm sure there's some experts out there reporting that that could happen right now. I just don't think it needs to happen. Okay. I mean, the three-year cashier is pretty damn good. 82 and a half million over three years for a 29 year old defensive tackle who can certainly get to the quarterback and and make, you know, impact elsewhere. But that 3-year adjusted AEV is 20 almost 28 million. Okay? So he's he's making more per year than he is right now on his 1-year contract. And what else matters? You know, he's getting the raise he deserves. I don't think he have to necessarily go all the way up past the 32 million per year mark, you know, into the 90s in terms of guarantees. It's just going to be a situation where you know, if he plays this thing out, we're talking about 100 million plus over the next four seasons, age 32. And then he goes, probably rides off into the sunset at that point or signs a couple of one-year deals in Dominican Sioux style and then walks away at that point in time. So uh, drops the cap $15 for Kansas City this year. There's $30 million plus cap hits every year for the following three. But roster bonuses like they like to do with Mahomes and all their big contracts so they can convert as needed and go from there. Um, This one seems like a no-brainer. And if you tell me this gets to three for a hundred, I'm not going to laugh at it. If you tell me this ends up being three for 90, that's probably fair value. And those are the kind of deals Kansas city keeps getting. So I might be overreaching just a tad here because of the player and, and not so much where the team situation is, but you know, outside of Mahomes, are they really paying that much? Right. They brought in a right tackle on a hefty, on a hefty contract. They didn't sign their left tackle. Right. so they kind of traded off there a little bit. I I think they could stand to to wiggle a little bit with Chris Jones, who has done them well for quite a few seasons now in Kansas City. Let's get to Saquon. This one's really complicated, right? This is the running back extension with a franchise tag to boot. I don't think Tony Pollard gets done. I don't think Josh Jacobs gets done. They're both in the conversation though over the next 48 hours, and maybe something surprises us. Jerry Jones certainly has shown that he loves to pay running backs. The Giants don't need to pay Saquon Barkley right now. Like I said, I don't think he's gonna walk away and stay away from week from week one, even if he misses everything else about, you know, leading up to week one. I think 10 million is fair. It's 10.091 for those nerds out there, the franchise tag, which means the second one is 12.2, which puts us at about 22.2 million over a two year span. That's always been the threshold. That's always been the number we're talking about here. It's not 16 million per year with McCaffrey. It's not the 40 million guaranteed at signing that he got. Those are just fake numbers right now, okay? And Barkley doesn't have McCaffrey's resume. So we can't get there, all right? Let's not even worry about per year. Let's worry about guaranteed money. What can Saquon Barkley actually get himself over the next two years? Here's how I did it. And I've had this projection out there for a while, so you've probably heard or seen this before. It's four for 52, so I'm ripping up that franchise tag. It's four for 52 on its face. okay, But it's really a two for 26. And 24 million of that is fully guaranteed out of the gate. So right out of the gate, he's getting about 1.8 million more than his two franchise tags, which does not sound great. It does not sound great. But does the running back really have any leverage here? No, no. So you're telling me that you know a player is going to get 26 guaranteed or 30 guaranteed out of the gate right now i just don't think it's going to happen over a two year span all right you've got to come pretty damn close to what the franchise tags are going to offer you or i don't think you're going to be able to sniff any kind of uh, you know real extension offer from your team so i'm starting with a base of 24 million guaranteed why am i calling it a base because another 1.5 million is is built into per game active bonuses which i think is totally fair with his with his his history excuse me I'm also building in 2 million annually incentives. Yards from scrimmage, playing time, playoffs, Pro Bowl, All-Pro. Every year, you can make another $2 million. So if you think that it should be 30 million guaranteed out of the gate, you can get there. Okay, You can get there by playing all 17 weeks, by your team making the playoffs, by rushing for almost 2,000 yards from scrimmage by making a Pro Bowl, which I, re- I realize is garbage, but look, it's a, it's not, there are better ways to make $250,000, let's put it that way. So I've got a big package built out here for Saquon Barkley that isn't just clear cut, signing bonus, roster bonus, workout bonus, but those are there too, right? So there's ways to make money, kind of everywhere. In March for, with a roster bonus, in July with a, with, a, with a workout bonus, week to week with a per game bonus, And then incentive wise, I don't think there's any other way around this. This is how the running back contract is going to have to look. We're going to start you with basically absolute fair value, and if you can give, you can continue to play and play above and beyond. You're going to make your money when it's due. I think Barkley's got to take something like this, because playing on franchise tags in that position just seems like the worst. Okay, this isn't the quarterback where you get hurt, you come back. Tony Pollard you know, probably had himself 20 million guaranteed, probably guaranteed at signing, maybe 30 practically guaranteed before that leg injury. And he lost it. And that's how quickly this money can go. All right. He's back on a 22 million plan, right? Two franchise tags and we'll see. So I think this is the kind of contract that's going to have to happen over the next 48 hours or Barkley simply going to have to play on that 10. Either way, the Giants win. Okay. Because this guy is that guy but if i'm barkley and i've got a chance to make more money by going out there and playing well i'm taking this route i'm betting on myself i'm going to do what i'm going to have to do i'm going to i'm going to be a workhorse i'm going to finish off my last 2 3, three years of my career making as much money as i can for the work i'm doing so there we go 4 years 52 million 24 guaranteed at signing chance to make 26 per year chance to make chance to excuse me chance to make that 26 by just showing up chance to make that 30 by showing up and being Saquon Barkley for the next two seasons, Justin Jefferson. This one's fun. Um, I am a conservative when it comes to projections and predictions and bold predictions and whatever hot takes. I've always been that way. I uh, I can get off the rails sometimes, and Cousin Dan kind of reels me back into into real life pretty quickly when I do that. I did not allow myself to be tempered with this. Justin Jefferson's numbers speak for themselves. Okay, there's no mathematical equation that needs to change that. There's no, there's there's nobody that should be sitting here trying to poke holes in who Justin Jefferson is. Especially if 60 percent of the world doesn't think Kirk Cousins is a great quarterback, right? Doesn't that make him even more impressive, right? What about the conversation of what if he had Josh Allen or what if he had Jalen Hurts or what if he had Justin Herbert? A, we might find out because I think Justin Jefferson being traded over the next two years is not crazy based on how I read the Minnesota roster. But let's just assume he's staying. Let's assume there's a contract offer in place. And let's assume that Minnesota has tried to lowball this and he has fired back with the Hail Mary contract. What I've given you here is that Hail Mary contract, something I never do. Like I said, I try to be realistic with most of my, my numbers and my outputs. I didn't let that happen here. Okay? every single thing about this contract is as big as as humanly possible. It is the number one metric for wide receivers all time. And there's really no way around that. I even took him over Tyreek Hill's completely fake 30 million a year, a number that I do not consider to be real in any regard. If you look at the contract, you'll understand why. He's got two years left. He's on a four-year, $128 million projection in our system right now. That's $32 million a year. $53 million guaranteed at signing. $96 million practically guaranteed. If you want to tell me he has to get to 100 because he loves that number, they're going to do it. All right, Because this is a massive six-year contract is what this is. The two-year cash is $54 million. The three-year cash is $73 million. Both of those supersede Tyreek Hill. It's just barely, but they do it. Here's the conversation. I say it in the article. I've said it before here. There's a distinct difference right now between a rookie extension wide receiver contract and a veteran extension wide receiver contract, right? Your Devonte Adams, your Tyree Kills, your Cooper Cups, their numbers, as of right now, sit way above A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Debo Samuel, right? There's two tiers, and it's very NBA-like. There's your seven-year vets, and there's your three or four or five-year wide receivers that are just getting their first big boy contract. And like I said, there's tier one, tier two in terms of guarantees and average salary and things like that. I'm taking Justin Jefferson away from that structure and just placing him at the top of every list with every metric. 32 million a year, 53 million guaranteed signing, 96 million practically guaranteed, two-year cash of 54, three-year cash of 73. All the bells and whistles. Now, I built in per-game bonuses as a concession for the, for the Vikings. It's a double bonus structure. There's a signing bonus and an option bonus. There's some off-season workout bonuses that can de-escalate things if he doesn't show up. I don't think he's that kind of guy, but maybe he becomes that guy. Everything's here for the taking. And I am not mind even talking incentives. I didn't even dive into what the incentive package on a Justin Jefferson could look like. Because to make it not likely, you'd have to go what? 1,600 yards, right? 12 touchdowns. I mean, it's just kind of where he lives right now. But there's more to be had here. So you're telling me this becomes four for 125 with seven or 50,000 of annual incentives? Sure. That's fine. But he might hit him, and then it's going infl- to reflect on your cap every year from there out. So you're playing with fire here. Um, the cap hits say pretty friendly. Utilizing this structure because you're doing it now and not later. So I've got him on 7.8 this year, 16 million next year, and 27 million in 2025. That's pretty doable. I mean, that's comparable to a slight adjustment on your rookie, you know, extension, a rookie contract, the fifth year option, and then a franchise tag. It's essentially what I've given him, except for he gets $73 million of cash over those three years. So there's a huge trade-off for him to do this. It's big money. All right, it's big money everywhere. It's one of the biggest projections I've ever done. Um, you know, this feels like the Mahomes version of the wide receiver contract, even though I didn't put it into a fifteen-year bubble like Mahomes did with Kansas City for for his first iteration. To me, I'm I, you will almost never see me do that. That's the absolute one percent option for me. Okay, neat and tidy, get in, get out. And oh, by the way, there are guarantees that run through twenty twenty six, which is four years. So with two years left in that fifth year, he'll only be 28 years old. He's 24 right now. So there's incentive for everybody to do this now, except for the fact that they may not have a quarterback for 2024. So does that put him pause in Justin Jefferson's camp? Is that putting pause in Minnesota's camp? Is it just a situation where they're going to get this done and figure it out? Like like the Giants did with Odell Beckham Jr. a bunch of years ago? paid him $22 million and then traded him the next year. It's possible. It's possible that we get there. But massive, massive extension. Um, Super fun to to build this out. If you've got an option, if you've got thoughts on where Justin Jefferson should land, one of the most, uh, I think, excitable rookie prospects we've had come in and perform and get to this contract level, let me know. Should it be even tidier than this? Is six years too much? Should he be getting in out like Chris Godwin, Mike Williams, three or sixty million, something along those lines, but cap you know cap adjusted now, possibly? Should he wait? Should he not sign the extension right now in year four of his rookie contract, no knowing that Minnesota may be you know vying for some serious change over the next eighteen months? A lot of factors. Had that conversation with, about Herbert, right? I mean, and the change that might happen around him next off season. Uh, but I do expect most of these contracts to get done, with the biggest deadline being Saquon Barkley in just 48 hours from now. Okay, there's five uh, contract breakdowns. I'm, like I said, I'm going to do five more here in the next 24 to 48 hours myself. All this will be live on spottrack.com as soon as possible. And uh, we will be back with some NBA and Major League Baseball discussions as well next week. Some trade discussions in Major League Baseball as we're just two and a half weeks away from that trade deadline on August 1st. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the SpotTrack Podcast.